Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross and Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com, where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services, and also information on our forthcoming events. For now, though, let's get on with the show. My guest this week is Tom Quay, founder of Passenger, a digital customer experience platform that supports more than 70 public transport operators and whose ultimate goal is to drive sustainability by re-engaging and revitalizing perceptions around public transport and especially bus travel. Tom became an entrepreneur by accident and now has high ambitions about 15-minute cities and the future design of urban spaces. In today's podcast, he talks about the cultural shift required to ensure a healthier, happier planet and how you can become part of this journey and change. Welcome, Tom, to the Evolved 60 podcast. Hi, Warren. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast, and I'm really keen during the course of this conversation, we're going to talk about all things sustainable transport and you know how passenger your business helps with all of those things. But I suppose we should put for our listeners some context around the conversation. So in 2008, you founded Base, which became a very successful agency, but you later went on to subsequently kind of pivot that business and focus purely on technology solutions for the public transport sector and that is what became passenger so tell our listeners all about that and how that kind of journey came about sure uh, i guess in in 2008 i was um i was a freelancer to start this whole thing off i'd been t- freelancing for a couple of years in the uh, in digital doing all sorts of different um projects for various companies particularly around the south coast um, and base became a, a sort of extension of that to some degree uh, and became a, a sort of a, a, a I, I got more work on than I could cope with as a, as a single freelancer. So we, we kind of started recruiting and that became, I suppose, by accident at that point, um, the, the, the starts of an agency. Um, and I don't think that was ever really my plan. So you don't think you're ever destined? So do you not, not, don't think you're really destined to run your own business? It wasn't something that was a burning desire? It was consequence of uh, circumstance, do you think? I, I think it was exactly that. Yeah, I just, I, I was doing something that I loved. Um, you know, I was, I was building things for the web. Uh, yeah, this, yeah. this emerging technology, I'd, I'd studied animation, so computer animation at, at university. Um, I'd actually okay. gone to uni uh, on the basis that I wanted to, uh, to sort of work on, on Pixar movies. Um, I had this massive desire to, uh, to, to animate and, and do all of the, sort of the, 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 the rendering and the, and the various kind of elements of, of, of what was sort of a really emerging art form at the time. Uh, and, and all the way through university, I was, I was building websites for people. So rather than working in, in bars like my friends were, I was, mm-hmm. I was building sites. So I was earning a lot more money, doing a lot less uh, sort of physical work. So I had this very old laptop that uh, you know, enabled me to work for, from home um, back, back in the day. 
Um, and I, I just carried that on. Uh, one of my one of my my, my, my sort of final major projects was a, was a content management system. So a system that allowed um, people to update their their own websites for them because I'd I'd worked out that you know a database behind a website was it was quite a nice way for someone to uh, to manage their own content and, and an interface to that. So um, I, I fell out of university uh, and I and I actually I'd seen how long um, people spent working on very short um, clips of animation. So there were these these very beautiful ten second clips of animation that had taken months and months and months to put together. And, and I just thought I I could do you know a lot more a lot more quickly and get the satisfaction of of, of building a site and launching it um, without all of that and and so that was the route that I went in the end which is yeah now I look back now and think how 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 amazing would it have been to go, to have gone and worked for Pixar and done all those things but certainly no regrets because you know those kind of days were my sort of founding experiences of of what we have now you know I, I moved into um, sort of selling that content management system as a as a product of the agency. Um, and that is, uh, to, to a huge extent, a, a lot of what we do now, but in a much more specialist way in public transport. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's kind of a story about destiny and hindsight and all of those kind of things. And perhaps using, an, you know, um, for our listeners that perhaps that are at uni are kind of trying to are being inspired to go on a journey themselves. You clearly use that time at uni to kind of find yourself a bit more on what you truly wanted to do in life. And uh, you know, an amazing kind of journey and story to get to the point where you launch base, you're hiring others in to deliver the work, you've got the content management system, but what's kind of, where did the pivot into public transport and delivering technology services for the public transport sector come from, Tom? Well, largely by accident, would you believe? Um, you know, in right. 2008, we were approached by um, a, a very well-known company down here on the south coast called Yellow Buses, uh, very sort of iconic in the town. Um, mm. They had, um, I think, one of the the, the staff, uh, one of the team in the um, the marketing department had done a course at the Arts University, and that's where I was based as a freelancer in the Enterprise Pavilion, as it was known back then. Um, and that, so they came looking for someone who could help them to sell paper tickets um, on a website. Um, so literally, so buying a, a, a paper ticket through through an e-commerce shop. And then it being sent out on, on in the post um, to be used on the on the buses. So we, we're insane when you think about it now. But that was the the, the starts of of a, of a very uh, sort of fruitful relationship in exploring uh, some some agency work wow. and some 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 clever tech for a for a bus company. And a, a few years later, we were we were picked up by uh, another bus company up in Nottingham, uh, Nottingham City Transport, who had seen the work we'd done in Bournemouth. And said, "Would you be interested in, in helping us do something similar?" And the the, the seed of a of a product platform was was starting to sort of emerge in in a couple of the the, the sort of agency projects that we were working on at the time. And but was there this kind of moment of truth where you decided actually this is great? We've got some great agency clients. You know, the general business and agency is growing, but we've got this technology we're building here for a couple of the you know, significant bus companies around the country. And we've got to focus on that because I'm just interested because that takes a lot of confidence and faith and trust in making that decision, doesn't it? It does. And, and it certainly wasn't a decision that we made overnight. I mean, it, I think when you when I look back, I think, you know, there was a there was a huge process of, of working out what that transition uh, might look like uh, before we made that sort of decision to, to, to go all in on that on that move. I mean, we certainly. We, we loved the work that we were doing as an agency, but I think as a, as a team at the time, we felt 
that we weren't able to work on things for very long. And that, that is very much agency life. You, you, you are drafted in to do a three month, four month, if you're lucky, 12 months project. And, and then that's it. You're pretty much you know, in and out. And I think the skills that we were learning at the time were, were quite complex between this public transport space. And we felt that actually, if we were to use those skills in a slightly more, in a slightly different way, um, we could invest for the longer term and become more specialist and, and more niche in, in, in an area. And certainly from a, a business model perspective, we were looking at kind of the longevity of the agency model and, and you know, and the, and the cycle of new business. It's, it's, it's never, it's never long before, uh, you know, you, you could run out of work as an agency. And I think the, yeah. the pandemic has made that abundantly clear to, to, to many. And so, you know, from a, a sort of business sustainability perspective, we were we were questioning whether that was a, you know, a millstone that we wanted to put around our neck and, and grow a, a, a sort of traditional model agency. But there is a big difference, isn't there? Because there's sometimes that in the early days, there is that confidence that a traditional agency is, you know, business to business services. It's the same in professional services. It's it's income, isn't it? You open the doors. And I know this, the difference between Inspire and Evolve. Inspire, the day I started Inspire, I was building clients you know it's you know you're charging your time it's income be evolve which is a product business and you're actually investing in developing the product investing in a team you're investing in the ip and you don't generate revenue immediately and i suppose you had some legacy clients that you were working on so you had that transition but there still must have been that point where you thought right we're going to need to invest heavily now if we're going to transcend from a service to a product business this is, you know, this is a transition. And I suppose if there's anybody out there thinking of making that transition, have you got any tips or hints for them or lessons that you learn and things you may get done differently? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think I think my, my advice would be to, to, to be as methodical as you can be and think about, um, you know, that transition period, um, it, you know, in terms of time, time frame, you know, can, can the, the model business that you have now sustain the, the transition period the, the number of staff, the investment required, and and, and be as um, brutal as you can be on that. You know, and be, really make sure that you know, whatever your estimates are in terms of time frame, um, double them. You know, perhaps even triple them. It will take longer than you think to to take something to market uh, because we're all inherently optimistic in what we're doing. And mm-hmm. and I think you know it's it's very easy to say, well, I, I think this whole business can turn around um, or, or change models very very fast, but. Yeah, it, it will always take, I think, a bit, a bit longer. And I think you have to be very prudent in the in the decisions that you take. So if you're investing in the starts of a, a product platform or a technology product, um, you know, what is the, the smallest amount of investment you can make to to, to learn whether that, you know, that, that that thing you are building is actually valuable to the to the market that you you, you think you're going into. You know, and we, we had two two customers on the agency. Um, side that we had to talk to and say, look, you know, we want to potentially move this into a into a, a license model. Um, how do you feel about that? Because you know mm-hmm. you're a really important part of this journey, and so that engagement type would change. And if this works well, you might become one of of many. Whereas at the mm-hmm. moment, you're, you're 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 two very important customers, and that's you know it, it's a really important conversation to have up front. And we did, and those you know those two teams are, are largely in place still in in one of those businesses and i don't think we ever forget you know what they enabled for us in terms of you know allowing that that relationship change to to sort of to come to fruition and to, to a large extent support us in that journey and you know give us that opportunity to to make something more sustainable um for them as a business i.e sort of a, a license style business rather than a you know custom application build 
um, you know, agency model, uh, but also you know the, the introductions to to other companies like them and, and the networks that they they were a part of. So, so yeah, we, we're incredibly grateful to those kind of early conversations and those early stakeholders in uh, in, in transitioning. So I think that's really important is, is to make sure that you know not only on your on your business side, so all of the people in your business, but the you know the the people that will be using your product. You, you need those early early supporters to yeah. to make sure that you know they're, they're, that it's going to work and that the thing you are building is is going to be valuable to them. Yeah, gaining engagement is yeah, it's a great piece of advice there, Tom, because a lot of product businesses, whatever the product, go kind of blindly into this kind of faith and this belief and this passion for what they do, and they build a product that you know they think is amazing, but maybe their customers don't need or they their customers need something different. So a great piece uh, of advice there. So to bring our listeners up to date, where is Passenger now? What is its technology? What solutions does it provide? And how does it make transport more sustainable, Tom? So from those early days of, of, of two uh, bus companies, one in Bournemouth, one in Nottingham, we are now, um, our platform, our software platform is now supporting in the region of 70 operators with, with more coming on board all of the time. Um, and in terms of what that product provides them, it's a digital customer experience platform, uh, as we like to call it these days. It allows them to sell, uh, to, to retail ticket products to customers through apps and websites. And it also allows them to manage um, network information and disruption information and, and feed that out through, through, again, the mobile apps and the websites to the, to the users of those buses and those trams. So you know, should, a, should a bus be um, cancelled for any reason or be ahead of its schedule, um, they can communicate through very simple uh, to use uh, administration tools to actually uh, tell people that they need to you know, catch those services, what's really happening, um, and, and, and help them to adjust their journey plans um, on that basis. So. So that product has completely changed and evolved, and I suppose it's developing all the time as technology moves on, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a SaaS, so a software as a service-based model. Um, we have a, a, a sort of a continuous investment in that platform. Uh, we've just uh, launched some, uh, some discount campaign tools uh, to allow um, our operator customer base to um, sort of re-engage people after the pandemic. So, so as, as an e-commerce platform, uh, they now have the opportunity to create um, sort of new user um, incentivized um, campaigns to to get people uh, both old and new um, sort of customer base back to uh, to using sustainable transport again after uh, being sort of you know in lockdown and, and and either working from home or cooped up or whatever it may be. But yeah, providing those tools to sort of re-engage and uh, grow patronage back to where it was. Because I think we're about seventy five percent now of what we were sort of pre pandemic mm -hmm. in terms of, of numbers using the using the buses and the trams. Fantastic. And out of all of this, it's clear from looking at your background and posts and things that you, you've said in, in sort of in the public arena is you're personally really passionate about sustainable transport. Um, so I want to talk about that. So I suppose my first question for you, Tom, is how do you really define sustainable transport? I think the simple answer to that one is anything that's not your own car. Okay. Um, so if you're if you're if you're if you're taking a lift from someone, if you are, um, or, or they would call car sharing in the in the industry. Uh, if you're riding a scooter, um, whether it's electric or not, whether you are riding a bike, um, a, a bus, obviously a tram, a train, you know, anything that is not jumping into your own vehicle, which is usually yourself on your own uh, and some empty yeah. seats around you. Uh, and, and sitting in what is increasingly, uh, you know, a, a very congested network of, of roads. 
Um, and I think, you know, the car is an amazing invention. It really is quite an incredible thing. Um, but I think we've got to the point uh, where we have had too much of a good thing and we, we're not getting around like we, 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 we used to. Uh, we're not able to move you know that i don't know if you've seen the uh, the wonderful billboards that are, are sort of posted around some places that say you you are not sitting in traffic you are the traffic and, and yeah. i think it's this this understanding that you know we we very much have to take a personal responsibility um for the change that is going on around us this you know this thing that we are seeing um, every single day on the news whether it be wildfires or um you know, glaciers melting or whatever the impact might be, um, you know, we, we have a, an, an effect on that. And I think in England or in, in the UK, certainly, we're not seeing um, the, the direct, um, you know, the, the, the really catastrophic impact of that. So I think yeah. there, is a, there is a degree of cognitive dissonance about the whole thing. It, it's not really happening, perhaps. It's, it's something it's that's not our problem type thing. Yeah, It's not our problem, exactly. And I, I think it's one of those that, if, if we are to solve these things, we have to look at how we um, how we move around ourselves and, and, and how we, uh, you know, our, our own personal responsibility within that. So really, you know, can you take a journey that doesn't involve, you know, jumping, picking up the keys and, and jumping in the car, you know, like you always have, you know, that's that's the question. So where do you sit then in that? Because that's a great definition of sustainable transport. Well, where do you sit with, you know, electric cars then? Because, you know, in some ways that is deemed to be sustainable. Um but that is isolated tra transport. Again, you sitting in a car with three or four empty seats around you. To you, that's not a definition of sustainable. Um, I, well, there, there are a lot of really good experts on, on electric vehicles, and I, I don't profess to be one of them. But I, I think the problem still remains that, that the traffic problem, that the congestion issue, issue isn't yeah. solved by, by changing the engine type. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we have a, a, you know, a, a, a much lower impact in, in, in EV, so that is part of the solution. But in the in, in the, the, the general concepts of you know re reusing and recycling, um, this is about refusing. You know, so don't take that journey, or, or if you're going to take it, take it in a way that um, has less impact. So yeah, the number of vehicles doesn't change when that engine is a, is an electric vehicle. So it can't be the the only solution. Okay, and that's what I really get about you that definition of sustainable transport you've given. It's it's not all about the environment the environmental part is a huge part but it is about the congestion the economic effect of congestion on our roads and making transport therefore more sustainable yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right i think i think when when it comes down to brass tacks the uh, you know the, the nation uh, is is measured in gdp uh, you know and if, if we are you know hindered in our ability to move goods people um things around then we're, we're going to be reducing our, our, our collective output or, you know, that's how we're being measured. So, yeah, we, we need to attempt to reduce that if we can. And I think, you know, the, 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 the bus, I mean, it's, it's a well trotted out message by the, by the bus industry for sure. But, you know, a, a double decker bus can, can take 75 cars off the road because of the number of seats on it. And I, and I fully appreciate, um, you know, that post pandemic, there's going to be potentially a little bit more, apprehension about hmm. um you know going and sharing space with, with other individuals but you know there have been no cases of um you know outbreaks kind of traced back to public transport so i think when you look at the science um over your kind of emotional reaction um there's plenty of evidence to say that it is very very safe it has been all the way through the pandemic um and actually we can't afford to wait too long to make those life choice changes that 
that are going to uh, you know help and save i suppose to a large extent the future generations and you know as a as a parent i'm you know very focused on i suppose playing my part in in, in making sure that there's something for them to enjoy definitely and i was going to have a conversation with you around the insights from lockdown really and about the way people perhaps will now use and view public transport going forward and one of the statistics i was interested in was how use is returning and you're saying it's sort of back to sort of 75 percent use but do you think there is some consequences because of covid and the pandemic and lockdown on people the way in which people will view and use public transport going forward yeah i think there's a very natural um hesitance to, to share space with it with anyone uh, post pandemic i think certainly if you uh, if you spent a lot of time in isolation or in lockdown then i think just just getting back to the office or or to your place of work you know that there's a natural sort of reluctance potentially to do that um, and obviously, it's going to be very different for for different individuals. So I think if if you're not familiar with um, with catching a bus, then perhaps now is not the easiest time to to do something <laughs> like that. But yeah, it's it's one of those that if if you could perhaps uh, you know catch a, a shared bike, so perhaps a, a sort of a next bike or a barrel bike or a mm. scooter instead of the car, that's something that you don't have that issue with uh, potentially yeah. as much. One of the things we have seen as a result of COVID and the pandemic in lots of sectors is the acceleration of sort of digital transformation. Have you seen that in the public transport sector? Yeah, absolutely. Without, without a doubt, it has been um, exactly the, exactly as you described. Um, you know, people uh, have been encouraged not to, to pay on the buses uh, with cash um, and, and to, to move to either contactless payment or, 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 or mobile tickets um, in, in the way that we our technology enables. So it, it's certainly been a, an accelerator of of systems like ours in terms of adoption um, and, and moving away from what I think was already happening, but just accelerated, um, you know, through the pandemic and that desire to to, to move to, to contactless uh, methods of, of payment. So I think it's, it, it was, it was, as I say, it was definitely happening. It's, it's something that has um, sped things up. And I think that will naturally have a, a really um, positive impact on, on the networks and ultimately, um, you know, reasons for perhaps not catching a bus are that they t- perhaps take slightly longer than uh, uh, the, the journey, the same journey in your own car. But I think mm. with, with things like um, digital um, payment methods, they certainly speed up that boarding time. So if you imagine every every bus not spending as long at each bus stop because there isn't a handful of coins being put on the, you know, or handed to the driver, um, and, and, a, and a, a QR code on a mobile app is being scanned within a, a second, or a contactless payment card is being read within the same time frame, you know, that those three or four people at each stop are boarding very, very, very quickly in, in comparison to where they were before. So the pandemic has, has, has had a positive influence on, on how people access the transport and therefore the speed of those journeys overall. And I suppose more people that access the technology from a customer's perspective and a customer experience perspective get to understand the ease of it and probably that enhanced customer experience of knowing my bus is coming my train is coming and, and having up-to-date information, I suppose, changes that perception of the old-fashioned bus journey when you're standing in the rain waiting for the bus. Yeah, well, that, that's what we hope. And that's certainly, you know, our, our mission as, as a business is to, is to, is to revitalise that, that sort of out-of-date um, you know, image of, of bus travel. Yeah. I mean, we, we often refer to the bus as the humble bus because it's, you know, it's got this kind of almost a, a bad reputation in terms of, of what it what it can deliver to your to your life, but I think the, the reality is very different in in, in geographies that we work um, all around the UK. That you know it is a lifeline. It provides you know connectivity to education, uh, 
you know, to work, to, to leisure, you know, where people can't drive um, or, or don't choose to drive or can't, you know, because of the infrastructure there. So it, it, it really is a, you know, an enabler to a lot of communities. Um, and certainly, yeah, the, the, the tech um, be, being, uh, you know, as people would expect it to be in, in 2021, you know, efficient, working well, good user experience uh, is an enabler to that. So if, if the pandemic has, um, you know, moved people, moved the operators into adopting this techn- technology more quickly, then that's a great thing. I suppose coming off the back of that, I was just interested on the impact on passenger. Clearly, you know, there's been a bigger uptake, so that's got that's given a growth opportunity. But is there a challenge now for passenger as a business that, you know, your roadmap for your technology and your development is possibly being accelerated because you've had this kind of uptake and adoption of the technology and now the bus companies and the customer want more? Does it present any challenges for you, Tom? I think when you are building products, everyone wants everything and every feature very quickly yesterday. I mean, it's, 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 it's very much, you know, our daily bread is trying to work out what the most valuable thing is to build next. So we, we will, I don't think we will ever build everything that every individual customer wants. Um, but we do, you know, engage really heavily on those conversations. And, and part of our kind of our, our mantra is to make sure that, you know, we're building the right things for our customers and, and we continue to do that, but also looking at, at what, end users want so we're a you know b2c to c business um, so we are sorry b2b to c and we are so we have end users as well as um, administrative users and, and and you know the businesses that buy our software so yeah there's there's a lot of stakeholders in in all of that and there's a there's a there's a lot of demands in terms of where we spend our time and you know the rea- the reality is that we're, we're not uh, someone like google we're a team of 30 uh, and we, you know, our our apps are the same size icon on a phone as as all those, you know, those other apps that are being developed by, you know, Facebook and you know, tens of thousands of developers and designers and all the rest of it. So the expectations are just as high, um, and and we will do our level best to to grow that business at the speed that you know enables those kinds of changes. Yeah, in the tech sector. Um and particularly in fast moving sectors, disruption is a word that's thrown around quite a lot these days. So do you feel like passenger is a disruptor? And if so, I mean, and, and what would you describe as a technology business that is a disruptor? Well, it's an interesting idea. Disruption in public transport isn't a good thing. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything to run very, very smoothly. Um, I, to your question, I, I think disruption is, it's a really interesting idea. I mean, I, I think you can you can attribute a lot of sort of very radical innovation. I think autonomy is is probably very disruptive in this space. Um, mm. But I think the disruptive stuff is probably the the super complex stuff. I mean, you know, if we if we're looking at auto, autonomous vehicles, um, you know, they were they were due twenty thirteen. I think um, you know when when Google kind of first sort of started to say when when these sorts of things would would be on our roads and, and driving us around, um, you know, we're nowhere near that. So I think disruption in, in mobility is, is going to take a long time, not, not because of the technology necessarily, but, you know, because of the, the politics and the, and the cultural change that needs to happen. You know, we've, uh, you know, we've had decades of, of, you know, of car dominance, if you like, um, and, and, and culture has grown up around that. You know, we, we as individuals, um, you know, I, I certainly, when I got to 17, could not wait to take a driving test. You know, it, it, we, it, 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 was, it was a natural part of growing up for me. And I think, 
you know, the, the shift will, will take time to, to, to sort of undo all of that. So I think there will be um, a, a very slow uh, period of change um, to sort of to turn this whole thing around. So whether, but it, it is disruption. It is fundamental disruption. Mobility is, is such a, a core part of, of our daily lives, you know, getting around, um, getting around safely, getting around within a time frame that we are, are happy with. Um, all of those things are really important. So yeah, it's fundamental disruption, but it but it if it doesn't necessarily feel disruptive when it when it's happening at a you know a very very slow pace. But as you say, the disruption is kind of in the technology that is going to be on the roads. Your offer is a core offer where you are helping that customer experience, whatever at the moment it's in the bus sector and I'm sure it will stay that way, but wherever that sector may be. Um but that is kind of interesting to to just think about in terms of sustainable transport, I don't know what your views on this and, you know, let's get it away from the local kind of area and just talk about the provinces. Because when we all go to a city, we all jump on public transport, don't we? It's just what we do. Um, yeah. But when you're out in the provinces and it's that, you know, you, you use the phrase, it's that convenience factor type thing. It's that ability just to get and complete a journey it isn't so easy using public transport in the provinces so what do you think you know if you had your magic wand if you were the minister for transport what would you do to en enable better adoption of public transport in the kind of provinces i've elated you there, there. promoted you quite heavily uh, haven't yeah. i there to a government <laughs> minister. But, but you know uh, what, what thoughts there, would you have job. and what can be done because that is a challenge isn't it is that convenience factor possibly isn't there it's a, it's a very real challenge yeah no it's a very real challenge i think the the reality is that the economics of, 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 of public transport or shared transport in, in the provinces is, doesn't really stack up. So it needs some uh, sort of government, local um, authority intervention. Um, yeah, these things are private private businesses. It's a, you know, buses in particular are were deregulated many years ago. So yeah. outside of uh, TfL in London, the, the, the market is a free market. So you know, the, the idea of public transport, I think a lot of people believe that it's council run um, but it's certainly not. So, you know, these are private businesses that are, yeah, they, they need to make money in order to pay their staff, their drivers, their their head offices um, and, and run their businesses. You know, some, a lot of them will have shareholders and, you know, in the same way, they, they, they need to, to return a profit. So, you know, the, the good ones are the ones that understand that sort of running really strong networks um, involve having lots of core routes within urban areas, but having lots of feeder um, mm -hmm. routes that, that, that feed that core network. And those are the ones that bring, you know, sort of reach out to the provinces and enable uh, travel into urban areas from some further further out places. So, I mean, yeah, it really does depend on the operator's kind of uh, vision and ability in terms of, you know, uh, of how far out they, they want to reach to bring that in. But it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly a problem, uh, certainly a challenge, should I say, um, to to solve in terms of, you know, the, the economics of uh, of rural transport in particular. There is, there is something um, which... You may have come across around um, uh, DRT, so responsive transport. Um, in in sort of, it's almost a hybrid of of a taxi uh, sort of bus model that is being heavily um, sort of trialed in various regions. Uh, just to to see whether you know that this hybrid idea can can start to feed um, some of the kind of core networks in in the urban areas. And that that's a you know in terms of mobility innovation at the moment, that's kind of the the hot topic, and that's where a lot of a lot of uh, venture capital and uh, funds are going to uh, to see whether that kind of stuff works. Um, if it's if you've come across Uber Pool, for example, that's a that's a very similar kind of approach where 
you know, trying to make journeys viable by putting more than one uh, mm. one person or uh, one, one, one passenger in a vehicle. Um, but without it becoming a fixed network, um, uh, classic humble bus. Um, so yeah, we, we will see. The, the Department for Transport is very keen on, on this idea at the moment. Um, uh, and we will see over the, the coming uh, years whether it plays out that it, that it actually uh, is a, it can be a sustainable model. Um, I suspect if it is placed well, and indeed does feed uh, the core networks of urban areas, then it may well it may well work out. But there have been unfortunately plenty of examples of it not working out so far. So it is uh, mm. the, the jury is is certainly out. But it's interesting to see that you say VCs and PE houses are are approaching that kind of end of the market because usually they're quite quick to predict the future, aren't they? And and get on early and 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 see where the opportunity exists. But I suppose the challenge is with sustainable transport, it is a collaborative approach, isn't it? On one end, you've got yeah. us, the consumer. You've then got the local authorities that have a kind of, they want, they've got aims and objectives. And then you've got, like you say, the private transport companies that have got to fulfill the ambitions of the local authorities and us as the consumer. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, think model, the, <laughs> I think that's the point, that there are so many stakeholders in the mix. Um, and there is there is certainly an element of, a political will needed in certain areas, and I think, you know, for the for the bigger organisations that are, that have funding, um, often it often their technology is deployed in, in in one country and it works very well. And I think, you know, to, to take that to a different territory, a different country, and 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 try and roll it out, there are often uh, political or or different kind of different challenges that don't necessarily uh, facilitate that technology to be rolled out in the same way. So, yeah, I think it's. Yeah, to to to, to categorise all private equity and VCs in the same is that is, is yeah, yeah there, are, there are lots of different ones obviously, and I think we've only got to look at Uber for example as a as a great example of of a of a company that's 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 changed dramatically in what it you know what it's doing. You know, originally it was all going to be, you know, let's not worry about the drivers; it'll all be autonomous, and you know that's mm. where we'll get our cost savings. And you know, they don't have any autonomous elements to their business at the moment; They've, that's all been sold off. So you know. Yeah, what what seems like a surefire bet, um, you know, when when it's pitched, um, isn't always. I think is the point. So yeah. I think in, in mobility there is an awful lot of um, of, of work to be done, um, and lots of lots of future that is yet to be decided. However glossy the pictures and the visions are are laid out. Is there any kind of particular cities or countries that you look at around the world and you think, given the environment we've got? given the technology that is available that you think are getting it right in terms of sustainable transport and getting that mobility piece sort of buttoned down and giving people the connectivity and mobility they want while being sustainable? There are some great examples around the around the world. I mean, I particularly love what's happening in Paris at the moment under the, under the mayor, um, Anne Hidalgo. I think the, um, you know, the, 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 the brave political decisions to, uh, you know, remove uh, vehicle traffic or a large quantity of vehicle traffic from the Champs-Élysées, for example, and, and really reclaim some of the city um, for, um, you know, for the, for the people of the city, uh, you know, and, and get rid of this background hum of, of, of traffic and this pollution that's just, sit, you know, that's just driving down those roads. I think, you know, these, these are not, these are not, um, uh, popular decisions necessarily, but they are very brave and you know incredibly uh, sort of emp empowering and powerful for the for the for the future. And just to, to see some of the the artwork of of, of these visions being kind of put, uh, put out on social media in some of these white papers, you know, and and you know trees tree lined streets that have been 
uh, dramatically pedestrianized uh, and being reclaimed by um, you know uh, cafes and, and people sitting out and enjoying time together um, I think it's great I think you know a, a lot of a lot of what um, you know we need as, as a society is, is our politicians to be brave to be brave and not think necessarily about you know the the votes and, and the things that they you know that keep them re-elected but to kind of put the things into place that you know in five ten years time we're going to think well why didn't we do this before um, but it's a challenge because you know uh, it, there is there is always a a very vocal minority that, that don't want these things to happen or don't want these things to change they want the freedom to, to drive down any road they please and um, you know it, it's not it's not easy but it but it's certainly I think great when you see some of the some of the some of the biggest cities in the world leading by example and, and putting out these really clear vision statements I mean there's a there's a lovely concept um, around a 15 minute uh, 15 minute city so this kind of 15 minute um, walk from where you live you can access every service that you need so you don't necessarily need to drive to work or you don't need to you know uh, uh, sort of catch um, uh, you know a, a vehicle somewhere far away because everything you need um, is, is very close by and a, a lot of this comes back to um, urban planning and you know mm -hmm. and it's something that I'm very fascinated by but have no qualifications in whatsoever <laughs> um, is this kind of idea of, of how we design our, our, our urban spaces and, and how we build them um, for you know how we want to live in you know 10 20 30 40 years time and I think when you look around um, and you listen and um, all you you know, certainly locally in, in Bournemouth, you, you hear traffic, you see traffic. And actually, um, when you're sitting outside a, a cafe or a, or a restaurant, you, you don't want to hear all of that, all of, all of yeah. that stuff. So if you could arrive there, um, you know, by a, by a push bike or an, a, an e-scooter or, or a bus that conveniently drops you, a nice electric quiet bus that drops you, you know, in the proximity of that really lovely small high street that, you know, is not too far from your house. Um, so all, all locally sourced um, type shops then you know that's the future that I think a lot of people can get behind but it does require us to not think about driving that two-minute journey to, yeah. to park outside the shop that we want to sit and enjoy so yeah that's the trade-off we've kind of got to take self-responsibility haven't we but we do need our politicians to be visionaries as you say because it's and it comes back to us changing and our children changing and it's generational isn't it and and it perhaps you know perhaps just as a country in the UK, we're a little bit too short-termism. If it isn't going to change my world tomorrow, then I'm yeah. not going to do it or I'm not going to vote for it or I'm not going to invest in it. And to make sustainable transport work, we've got to change our mindset, haven't we? And we've got to be passionate about doing that. I think that's absolutely it. I think we, that, with all of the, the, the tech that I see uh, coming out, things like delivery and, you know, just eat. It's all about convenience and how can, you know, the consumer save a few minutes not going to pick up food or, you know, have something brought to me or it, it, and I actually think there's a, there's a really interesting kind of anti um, convenience idea that, that needs to be, become mainstream. You know, this, you know, actually public transport is going to be a little bit more inconvenient for me, but that's okay because it's a good thing for everyone. You know, I need to have, less personal convenience because then I secure, you know, the future of my children and the resources that we have. So it's this kind of shared responsibility thing, you know, this, uh, it's not about me in the moment. And I can, I can get off my backside and go and, and you know, ride my bike to the, to, to pick up that thing rather than have the, 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 the micro, you know, the, the, the car drive it's, you know, yeah. drive the pizza to my house. So it's, it, it's a bit of a, 
a huge culture shift, I think, that's required. But if you know anyone listening, you know, what's the one thing that you could do, you know, to, to, to perhaps not take a journey that you know you could walk or, or catch a bus, then then that's a contribution, isn't it? And I think it, it doesn't take a lot to 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 make a small change. And I think that's the that's the thing I would encourage is to try and think about, you know, a small change that you could make that that might not feel like it's having a great impact in the moment, but yeah, will collectively um, contribute. And it's that one step at a time approach. And that probably comes down to one of the biggest challenges regarding sustainable transport. And I think we've touched on it a couple of times is actually ditching your car for public transport or getting on a bike is about changing habit and mindset, isn't it? For those journeys and people are used to just picking up their car keys. um and getting into the car and going where they need to get do so you know and i know you're very passionate about cycling as a mode of transport and something you do um so you know any kind of hints tips about altering mindset anything you would insights that you would give from your own personal experiences it it does take time yeah and i think it's it's slow changes so yeah i think that i heard a lovely thing last year a chap called dr ian walker um uh, sort of mentioned a concept where it, it's you, you you intend to make a change so you make very conscious decisions about the change that you're going to make so that example you give about picking up your keys you know because they're, yeah. they're not they're in the same place and you're going to get in your car move your keys um you know and think about you know what you what you need to perhaps take your bike and and, and yeah. move things into position in your home um that perhaps your helmet you know you've got a helmet maybe put it you know in the kitchen so that if you, if you choose to wear a helmet or not, or, you know, and, and your lock for your bike. I mean, these are the sorts of things that I've spent a long time conditioning myself to do that, you know, I now have a, a sort of a D-lock hanging up on the coat hook in my hallway. And, and that's, you know, very visible to me. So that I, I know I could pick that up and go out. I actually go out the back door far more, far more often than I go out the, the front yeah. door now because I'm, I'm not going to my, my driveway. I'm going to my shed. So it, it's yeah. those kinds of things that are, yeah, they take they take time, but I think if you are really committed to to making the, or breaking those those really long established habits, then those are the sorts of things that you can do to um, to change those those those, those long learned behaviours. Yeah, well, they're ingrained in us, aren't we? Like we say, we we you know we're ingrained. Yeah, they're ingrained. I mean, this is it. Yeah, you know, they're ingrained. That at seventeen, you learn to drive. You get yourself a car, and off you go. It's you know. Yeah, which you mentioned earlier. So it's changing those ingrained behaviors. But again, some great insight there. And it's a bit like I've done this. If you want to get up early and exercise, then lay your kit out the night before because you're not putting it, you know, you get up and you put your kit on and you go. It's a lot. I like that same kind of concept with thinking about transport use and and all of those uh, kind of things. That is a lovely way to think about um, sustainable transport as well. You know, if you can weave journeys into your exercise, then, you know, what, why wouldn't you? You know, if you if you if you are fortunate enough to have a, a shower at work, for example, walking that journey or, or running that journey is a really is a really valid way to to travel. You know, your your feet are a, a very a very valuable mode. And you are passionate about cycling, so I mean, what changes and positive changes would you like to see happen to promote cycling? Again, this is probably an, an issue for the provinces as well, isn't it? And actually, locally, we're seeing more cycle routes and that those sort of things going. But you know what? can local governments authorities do what can be done to promote cycling further do you think i think it all comes down to safety i think you know as a as a, as a parent that is um is, is not too far away from sending 
my, my son off to secondary school, um, I think it, it really does, be, you know, is you know, can we travel safely on a bike um, in the traffic? And, and so a lot of it comes down to the infrastructure. And this is where I suppose my, my interest in, in urban planning becomes, um, you know, very, you know, very important because you know, if, if, if I'm going to push this, the sustainable transport message, it, you know, the infrastructure has to be there and therefore being, you know, the understanding of what is safe and what is not has to be there. And I think, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly uh, sort of engaged with my local council um, and to try and understand, you know, what they are doing and to feedback on some of the schemes that, that they are looking at or working on. Um, you know, we're lucky enough down here in, in Bournemouth that, you know, we have some very significant routes um, going in, um, or, you know, so some very wide cycle paths um, that are going to be incredibly um, safe. And I think it's it's really, you know, on on residents that are kind of engaged in this stuff to, to, to talk about it and, and sort of, you know, share that with, with others and, and be visible in kind of using it. To a large extent, it, it's our responsibility as residents to, to engage with our councils and, and, and to let them know that, you know, that the work they're doing is, is, is wanted, um, it's needed, um, and to also, you know, feedback on, on the gaps in the network that, um, that, that are still there. So, you know, the, the infrastructure is improving all the time. You know, there is a, there is a mandate from central government. There is money available to uh, regional authorities to, to change the way that our, our infrastructure is, is already laid out. That will take years. You know, that will take huge, huge sums of money to, um, to change it um, so that, you know, the car is not the dominant mode. But we are already seeing, you know, some really smart, um, you know, roundabouts coming in where the priorities are changing. So it's a very... And well thought through cycle lanes that are giving priority to the to the cyclists so that they're not stopping at every junction for example so the journey is not um, you know incredibly painful um, from a stop start perspective and yeah so that is coming but it is really you know at, to a large extent if, if if we can fit it into our already busy lives to, to engage with you know they, those officers working at the councils and you know doing this and implementing these schemes um, to let them know what we think and that we want more of it. Um, so that's certainly, you know, in the, in the time that I get, I, I'm riding down the cycle lanes, as, you know, when they're being finished and I'm trying to, you know, sort of have a look at what state they're in and, and, and where the, the gaps are in it, it, you know, what comes next really. Mm. You know, I think certainly I referred earlier to, uh, you know, my son heading off to, to secondary school next year. Um, and I really want him to be able to ride to, to school. Um, but obviously I'm assessing that route or those routes to school from a, from a safety perspective and, and making sure that he can do that autonomously mm. um, and, and, you know, and without fear of, of being knocked over because that's, that's why as parents, we don't allow our children to, to, to ride out on the roads because you yeah. know, the traffic is, is insane and it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. And that insanity brings conflict, doesn't it, with drivers and other users of the roads. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, it's how do you do it safely? I absolutely agree with that. So just spinning back around to your business to passenger, what are your hopes and aspirations for passenger um, as we start to wrap up the conversation for the next five to 10 years? Where do you think passenger will be and what are your hopes and aspirations, Tom? That's a great question. I, I For a long time, I wasn't ever looking further than about three months ahead. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I, you know, increasingly as, as the, as the business grows, you know, we, we start to spend time uh, looking at, at where we, we want to take things and, and where we, we, we see things going. And I, and I, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there is so much opportunity in, in mobility and, and, and I think so much that is unwritten. Um, I, I would love us to, to become the, 
you know the the de facto platform if you like in in the uk for um for for these operators to um, deliver great tech to great customer experience to to their customers i would love it if um everyone in the uk knew how to catch a bus um and and knew that it was easy and that you you just do xyz and it will tell you how much it's going to cost and and when it's going to be there and all of those things and then i think you know to some degree we have succeeded as a business you know we have made it easy um, for everyone to make a responsible mobility choice you know at the moment it is it's too hard you mm. know people get in their cars because it is easy you know they've already paid for it they've already got the fuel in it the keys are there it's on the driveway there isn't much thinking required so you know a huge amount of the work we are doing is about boiling down all of the complexity of data sets and formats and scheduling and real-time systems and all of the things that we deal with into a very, very easy to use system that people can trust. You know, whether that's going through an operator's app or a, an app that has lots of operators in it or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, our mission is to make sure that, you know, it, it's really simple and that people are not afraid of um, taking that sustainable journey um, when they make that decision to do it because it's nice and easy to do it. I was going to ask you what your definition of success was, but I think we might have just wrapped it up in that response. <laughs> but I suppose we could just just ask, you know, is the Evolve to Succeed podcast? I do tend to finish with this question. So from a personal point of view, if you take yourself out of the business, what does success mean to you, Tom? Um, I think a lot of what we're dealing with at the moment is is growth. Um, you know, we, we uh, the first few years of, of Passenger were about, do we have a, a product that, you know, that fits the market. Uh, we know we do, you know, we have a, a huge amount of people using it every day. Um, you know, it's highly respected. People like using it and, and, and people use it all the time. But the, the challenge we have now is, is scaling that and making sure that, you know, the everything that we, you have as a business in the early days, all of those values as a small team that you hold dear, all of that purpose that you, you kind of try and infuse every, everything you do with, uh, we maintain that. So, you know, success for me is really about um, making sure that, you know, regardless of you know, who is the director and, and who is leading it, that stays, you know, core to the business. And that's something that we're really, you know, keen to, to yeah, make a fundamental part of the business, whether, you know, five, 10, 20 years, it's having a lasting impact. And I, I describe it as a bit of a legacy, not trying to big it up too much, but just, you know, be beyond people, if we can make sure that this business continues to, to thrive and, um, you know, behave uh, in, in a way that, you know, we, we have done in the, in, the, in the early years, then I'll be very happy indeed. Fantastic. I often talk about business needing focus, passion and belief, Tom, and it's clear through our conversation today and everything you've shared with us, me and the listeners, is that you've got that in kind of spades. And, you know, that focus, passion and belief is there for, you know, what you do and why you do it. So, yeah, thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks, Warren. It's been a pleasure being on. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.